Welcome back to System Ministurbia, the podcast where we go absolutely insane because our ISPs are trying to ruin our lives. This is Brent. I am an irritant. And yes, he is. I'm Peyton. <laughs> okay, so we're actually recording this a day after when we... And I am wood. pissed. Because has no my ISP has been destroying me. I was getting like, what did it say in the screenshot? Forty-five, four thousand trillion, four thousand like, milliseconds. Know. Yeah, four thousand, four, four, four trillion. I don't know. I'm just being silly. Oh, uh, it was a very large it number. It, it, it was, was a, an unreasonably large number. <laughs> it was a very large number. It was a number so in large of that the Donald Trump actually wanted to take it and make it bankrupt. Yeah, <laughs> I see what you did there. Holy shit. Okay, so. so Needless to say, we're, we were having some issues. I was having some issues, I should say. Everybody else was fine. I was having shit. And it's coming and going now, tonight. Did you grill that or so, boil that? Because, you know, did you wait for it? What? Never mind. Carry on. Oh, no, I, I see on. what you did there. No, no, no. So it is, <laughs> it is a bit shit tonight as well. It's not as Shut bad. Shut the fuck up. Nothing's funny. But... I'm going to try and move through it. So if it feels like we're pacing a little bit too quickly tonight, it's because we were trying to get through this before my ISP decides to shit on me again. Shit all over you. (sighs) Shit for you and shit for me. Shit on all the things. Peyton, you want to talk about the thing going on with your insides? Oh, yeah. So really super duper funny story. Jathan had his gallbladder Mm -hmm. out. And Friday Mm -hmm. before last, I'm at work and I'm sitting there and I'm starting to feel really uncomfortable. Like I just can't get comfortable like my stomach mm. is hurting and my back is hurting but it's not like super painful i'm just like i i, I don't know it was um it, it was just more discomforting than anything else and finally i got to the point where it was too uncomfortable and i said you know what i'm, I'm sorry guys i've got to go home here's the rest of my work that i had doing i'm sorry just let me know what you need me to do and uh or, or let me know if you have any questions or whatever i'm going home so they're like okay go mm-hmm. go home so i go home and i swear to god it was the worst night of my fucking life I'm laying in my bed, I'm sweating and I'm cold. I can't keep the covers on me because I'm I'm hot, but then I gotta put them on me because I'm cold. I'm doubled over, I'm in mm-hmm. the fetal position, like, you know, just feel like I'm dying, you know? And my mother-in-law yeah. came down, and so she's watching the kids. My wife went out to go get me some, I have some, I have a prescription for hydrocodone. So my wife wanted to go get that, and I'm walking, before she gets home, I'm walking around the living room because I cannot sit down. Like, I'm in so much pain. Mm. That like sitting is bothering me. So she comes home and I take some hydrocodone and I lay down and I, I sleep for a little while and I feel slightly better. But, you know, I'm still like just in a lot of pain. And so I spend Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday I go to the doctor. The doctor says, well, it could be two things. It could be, you know, it could be something to do with your gallbladder or your kidney or, you know, kidney stone or what have you. Or it could be, you know, indigestion or whatever, you know, like you're, you just haven't pooped. And I'm like, all right, great, whatever. She's like, well, I'm going to send you to get a CT scan done. I'm like, great, fine, whatever. So I go to the hospital. I get there, and they take me in. They give me a CT scan, and they're done. And they send me back. And I still have the bruise, by the way. This is two weeks now from the CT scan, or a week and a half mm-hmm. from the CT scan. I still have a giant bruise on my arm where they gave me the IV for the dye. Uh, so I go back to the doctor's office. They call me. They say, you have gallbladder, you have gallstones, and they're absolutely just irritating you. They're, your gallbladder is huge. You have all these stones. They're angry. They need to come out. I'm like, great. So then they say, they took some blood for me as well. They said, we'll call you in the morning to see if you have an infection. If you have an infection, we're going to suggest that you go get your gallbladder removed. Otherwise, if you feel like you're in a lot of pain, go ahead and go to the ER anyway. 
So I said, all right, fine. Mm-hmm. So Tuesday, I, I wake up and they call me and they say, you don't have an infection, you know, but still, if, you, if you're in a lot of pain, you should go. And finally, I'm just like, I, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm like, fuck this. Yeah, like, fuck, oh, fuck it, this. I can't. Fuck I got to go. go. Yeah. So I go to the hospital. I go to the hospital. I go to the ER. They're fantastic. They get me in there. They give me an ultrasound. They check it out. They're like, oh, yeah, your gallbladder is nasty. They get me, you know, into the triage room. And uh, the doctor comes in and says, all right, yeah, so your gallbladder's bad. I'm going to go ahead and give you a prescription, to have uh, you know, a recommendation to have a surgeon take it out, and we'll get, call you with an appointment. I'm going to discharge you. And I'm like, you're, you're going to discharge me? You know? No, I don't think so. <laughs> and he says, hold on a minute. And he walks away, and he comes back like 10 minutes later or whatever and says, yeah, we're going to go ahead and get that out of you today. And I'm like, oh, great. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Now, this is like... 12 o'clock. I had breakfast at 8.30 because I had to eat something, mm. you know. I, I was dying. So I ate at 8.30. 12 o'clock. I'm in the I'm in the ER. He says, all right, we're going to go ahead and get you prepped and get you ready to go and get you taken out. I'm like, all right, great. So then uh, 2.30 rolls around. It's the time of the uh, surgeon's ready to take it out of me. We get down to the OR and the freaking uh, anesthesiologist is like, when was the last time you ate? And I said, well, I ate at, uh, at 8.30. She goes, Oh, like three hours, four hours ago? And I'm like, no, it's more like six, you know, closer to maybe five, but closer to six. And she's like, I really need, you know, six or or eight hours of you not having any food to do the surgery. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm I'm (laughs) sitting here dying. I can't even stand up fully erect. Mm -hmm. I'm in so much pain that, you know. <laughs> he, said erect. he said erect. He said fully, I said erect. fully erect. It wasn't even a little bit. You know, I mean, he was just walking I was just raging, with a massive boner. Raging boner, you know. But, uh, I, you know, I, he couldn't get it fully I erect. I thought he, you know, a mild shove was fine, but. I can't even bend over, you know? Like, like I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. bowed over. I can't even, like, stand up straight. I can't bend over to do mm. anything. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know. And she's like, all right, so they send me up to my room. I get my room. Which before the surgery is a big deal. Like, that never happens. So I'm in my room. At this point, I haven't had any water or food since 8.30. And it's like 3 o'clock now. I am Mm. starving. They've got an IV in me, but my mouth is, like, dry. You know? And it's... I'm just like, can I have some water? Can I just have a little bit of water? No, you really can't have any water. Like, can I have ice chips? No, you can't really... (sighs) So they're like... Then they come to me, like, 4.30, and they say... Yeah, we're going to take you down at 5.30, but we have to wait another two hours. There's something going on. We need to wait. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? This time my wife has finally gotten there. You know, uh, my mother-in-law was watching the kids, so she was able to come and, and sit with me in the, in the room. Mm. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And they're like, yeah, sorry. And so I'm like, all right, honey, just go and go get some dinner and, you know, uh, come on back in, in about an hour or a couple hours, whatever you need. Just go take some time. And she's like, all right. So then she leaves. And not 30 minutes later, they come up and say, okay, here we go. And I'm like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? So I, I text her. I'm like, honey, honey, they're, they're, they're taking me down. She's like, okay, all right, all right, I'll come back. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So they get me down to the OR prep room again. And they're standing around waiting. And I'm sitting there waiting for like 10 or 15 minutes. And finally, they all get there. They're all ready. And they pull me into the OR. And I, they're like, okay, can you crawl from your hospital bed to the, the, <coughs> surgery, the surgery table, whatever it is? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. So I, you know, crawl over there and I lay down and they pull up the two tables and put my arms so I feel like I'm Jesus on the table, you know. And I'm yeah. in I'm in so much pain now. Now they were giving me Dilaudid. And Jathan, I don't know, did you have Dilaudid? Deloitte. Deloitte did? Yeah, it was 
Dilaudid. Yeah, D I L A U D I D. Did they give that to you in the hospital? Is that something for like just calming your nerves? No, it was, it's a painkiller. It's IV. It's a sedative, it's an right? It's IV painkiller. They give it to you just oh. your IV. Yeah. If they did, then it was after I no longer knew what the okay. fuck was going on. So I'm taking this. I, they they give this to me because I'm I'm in pain, and I'm having like hallucinate. Whenever I close my eyes, I have hallucinations, right? Like I'm seeing things, mm-hmm. like vivid oh, yeah, yeah. imagery in my head this whole time. And finally, they're just like, all right. And I'm like, listen, I'm in a lot of pain. Can you guys do something for me? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And they put the breath mask over me. They say, take five deep breaths. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. And so I go, one, two, three. I'm out. Boom. Gone. <laughs> like, I don't remember. I don't remember after three. You know, I, I, yeah. I vaguely remember four, but just like vaguely, you know. And so the next thing that I hear is this gone awful Beep, 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 I'm like, what? Oh, that's the, not good. What the fuck is that? And I realize that it's my pulse ox monitor because I'm at 90% and the nurse is sitting there like, you need to take a deep breath. And I'm like, I'm fucking trying. I can't. I <laughs> turn that fucking shit off. I'm going fucking nuts here. What the hell is that? Can you just turn it off? Can you just turn it off? Can you turn it off? Can you turn it off? She's like, no, I can't turn it off. Can you turn it down? Can you do anything? She, she moves me away mm-hmm. a little bit and she turns it down a little bit. <laughs> and I'm just like freaking out because all I hear is this fucking beeping sound, right? And uh, and, and meanwhile, like your brain's like, am I flatlining? Right. I have yeah. no idea what's going on because I've just woken up in the recovery room, you know? Uh... So long story short, I had my gallbladder out. It was a much quicker operation than I think Jathan had to go through because you had to wait a couple weeks. Yeah. Well, he was his was also like a very... As a solution, like a very long running. Yeah, problem. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, mine started out with like, without going into too much detail <laughs> for the fans. <laughs> you know, for the fans. my my bowel movements had been impacted in some ways, <laughs> but I wasn't really in pain for like the first three weeks, mm-hmm. and then yeah, it, it was... just got to a point where you know I w- I had like two attacks where I was really just like you know keeled over like you describe, yeah. mm-hmm. and both of them were in the middle of the night. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Like, I woke up with it and just, you know, like, bit the corner of my comforter just to not fucking scream. Yeah. 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 But other than that, like, I was at the point where every time I ate, I would get a little bit of a fever and it, it hurt. Like, I would just have Ooh. this dull pain well, after I ate. I could but eat, but it, it wasn't, wasn't, like, excruciating you know, like yours. I could, I could yeah. eat, and it actually felt better for me to eat. But what happened was, is one of my gallstones, I had five or so gallstones, they said. They were just, they were angry, is what they said they were. And they showed me a picture of my gallbladder, and I actually have it. Yeah, it and I can, gross. I can, uh, you know, tweet it if you guys really want to, if uh, if I get any responses back. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> apparently, one of my gallstones had blocked the bile duct, and so that's what was causing mm, me oh, that's, all my. That's pain. pretty, yeah, pretty dangerous yeah. too, because you can actually start to get sepsis. Yeah, your well, your gallbladder can, yeah. it can either burst or you know you can have other serious bile is not something you generally want running around in the rest of your body so (laughs) the doctor tells me okay i'm gonna do four incisions in you and we'll pull it out and it won't be a big deal Mm -hmm. and i might have to put a a drain in you i'm like all right fine whatever you know i don't really care i just want this fucking thing out of me you know so i come to and i'm looking down at my body and i've got five holes in me and i'm like (laughs) Five holes. And then I see there's a fucking tube sticking out of my abdomen leading down to a bag. And I'm like, oh, great. That's the drain. Okay. All right. So yeah, I'm in the hospital bed and I'm still in pain. Like, I mean, they just ripped apart my abdomen mm-hmm. practically, you know? So I'm laying there and mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh my God. Like, want some Dilaudid? And I'm like, yes. 
okay, here you go. And I'm like, oh. And so I slept. And that's how we became hooked on opiates. So I, uh, Tuesday night was was Mm -hmm. rough. I mean, I I don't think I got more than about two hours worth of sleep Tuesday night. And then Wednesday was better. He said that I really should have, I should have probably gotten up and walked around Tuesday, but it was so late in the day Tuesday and I don't think I could have. Mm -hmm. But, uh. Man, the Jello. They gave me some Jello right after I got out of the OR, and I'm in my bed, and they're like, "You want some Jello?" And I'm like, "Sure." Mm-hmm. That was the best Jello I've ever Fuck had in my yeah, entire life, man. Oh man, really? Oh, God, they gave so me saltines good. and applesauce. They brought me uh, apple and, juice, and uh, I just remember the applesauce was oh, terrible. Yeah. Mm. But I, when I woke up, I wasn't really in any pain immediately. But it was the first time I'd ever had full anesthetic like that and as soon as i came to i just had to fucking vomit it was disconcerting mm. and, it really was and so there was a nurse there and i was like yeah i need to puke and she just immediately like she had something in her hand put it in my iv and i was just knocked right the f- right back out. <laughs> it's like fuck no you're not puking yeah right i'm not cleaning that shit <laughs> up <laughs> boom yeah <laughs> but no whatever they did give me was some kind of medicine because then when i finally woke up again i didn't have to puke yeah. anymore might have been drama me so yeah something like so that. so then i was able to start walking in the morning and wednesday morning I, I walked i it's so weird because you know i've walked super long distances in my life you know uh mm-hmm. 15 20 miles i mean i hiked the freaking continental divide for a little while so you know walking for me is like something i can do and I can't even, like, walk to the bathroom. Like, I need someone to, like, hold my arm while I walk to the... I feel like an old man, mm. you know? And I finally was able to walk out of my room and, like, down the hall a little bit and come back and, and then get back on my bed. And uh, in the afternoon, he count, he comes over and he, and he pulls the drain out. And that was the worst goddamn feeling of my entire life. Like, it felt like he was yanking my intestines out, you know? Oh. But it was this really nasty, like, blood, like, dark red goop. Ugh, like, it was just, ugh, you know? Oh, like it was like congealed. And, yeah, yeah, but it was yeah. just coming out of me, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. Did you guys just hear the cat sneeze? Uh, no, I didn't. no. <laughs> so then he sent me home, and I spent Wednesday through Sunday just on the couch and you know trying to rest. I had to sleep on my back for the first three days because I couldn't roll on my side. I felt like my guts were gonna fall out, you know. And I went to work Monday. I worked full day Monday. Got my stitches out yesterday, actually. And so you know that was my that was my last week. It was fun. Let me tell you. Never, ever again. <laughs> nice. So that was, so now it's, we're two for three for gallbladders. You're next, Brent. I haven't had my gallbladder removed, so I don't really have any sort of <laughs> relevant thing here. But have so you had a kidney you stone? F- I'm sorry? Have you had a kidney stone? Maybe like once. There were like one or two points in time where I was, I had like severe kidneys. Kidney stones are, there, kidney stones are very but, similar, so. Okay, okay. But I've never had... Like, I've had surgeries when I was little, but I don't... To my knowledge, I have all my parts, so... <laughs> oh, no, no, I have my wisdom teeth removed, so I'm missing that doesn't those. Really count. But everything else, I'm pretty sure I have. Yeah, it's on, it's on count. I'm pretty sure I have everything else. But... So you both are feeling, like, up to snuff now, right? I mean, probably... I mean, I... They told me I shouldn't be lifting more than 15 pounds until, like, last Friday... So, uh-huh. I, I mean, I had taken it kind of easy, but almost immediately, I was back to eating normal. Okay. And that was, like, you know, the big thing. So your gallbladder was just basically broken. Well, I had gallstones, but I didn't have any blocking my bile duct like Peyton. Okay. So, you know, my gallbladder was still enlarged, and, you know, at that point, it's like, well, if we don't do something about this, you'll probably be in the situation where you have a blockage. Right. So you're, you were a preemptive Peyton, basically. Yeah. Okay. 
So, Peyton, like, aside from the, the given uh, soreness, you're feeling better, too? Yeah, I actually feel better now than I did even, like, mm. two or three weeks before this, or even more than that. My, uh, the doctor, I mean, that makes sense, though. The doctor yesterday said that it looked like it had been at least a year that my gallstones had been there. So, I had some pain and some other stuff, and so, I mean, it's possible that I've been having gallbladder attacks, you know, even before then. not really. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, like today, I mean, I just, you know, I, I haven't had the pain that I normally have. I, you know, I really feel honestly pretty good. So I, I really feel good. like it was an overall, like, you know, overall it was like, it may have been causing me a lot of more, more problems than I, than I realized, you know? Right. So. And none of us died. None of us died. <laughs> okay, cool. So let's quickly, briskly break into what are we drinking? I am still drinking Jefferson's Reserve because of course I am. And it takes me forever to finish a drink because I don't drink very much at all, except mm. when I record. What about you guys? <laughs> Go ahead, j well, you're doing it wrong. I drink every day. Anyway, uh, just kidding, by the way. So, fun fact, we are recording a day late. Last mm-hmm. night, I started drinking, like, pre-gaming pretty hard because I was like, oh, we're going to record. <laughs> then we didn't record, so I just got super drunk for no reason. Well, but not no right reason. right now, yeah, you're right. I feel good. <laughs> right now, I'm drinking About Damn Time IPA from Four Noses Brewing, which is a local brewery. Mm. Okay. Peter? I've just got some water here. Uh, I'm trying to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a good boy. <laughs> Fair know. enough. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> that makes sense. What was that? What, what was that? What was that? Talk he's shit? he's he's calling you a bitch. Yeah, of course he is. <laughs> I yeah. waited one week. That's yeah, great. Well, congratulations. Whatever. And also, like a very quick side note, I thought you were joking about having your gallbladder removed <laughs> because it was like really? r- it was literally the day after April Fools. I wish and. Man. Yeah, no, I mean, I and, was, I was freaking dying. And Jathan just had his out, so I was like, this has to be a, there's, the coincidentally, like, it's a very slim probability, both it being April Fool's and Jathan just having his out, but lo and behold, it was, it was the case. So, weird coincidence, you and Jathan are soulmates. Oh, God. Kill me. You're kill fated me. to be now. together. <laughs> kill me now. But speaking Come of drinking. Come give me some loving, huh? Payton. Speaking of drinking, I had this in our discussion, but I'm gonna quick, I'm gonna quick mention it. Because it has more to do with news than anything. We will be at Hope, and at Hope, we were hoping to run a charity, a fundraiser. Jathan has challenged Payton to do drunk, antic fundraisers. And they'll, you know, they have separate charities of their choice. I don't know if both of them have selected which charity, and we're not going to mention it yet, guys, if they have, because we still need to get approval. Yeah. But, you know, approval for the... The people they want to donate to. But they'll be having a competition to raise money. Whoever raises the most money for their charity, of course, will be declared the winner. The winner doesn't really get anything except the knowledge that they helped their charity more than the other person. But they'll be getting extremely drunk at Hope. And we need suggestions for (laughs) what sort of challenges they should be attempting to perform while intoxicated. Yes, nothing that will kill us. Nothing that'll kill them, so I no Tide Pod challenges. I, I, I want to... Um, <laughs> no, don't. I'm just kidding. Don't. No, I mean, it'd be really cool if we could actually do some, like, computery things. Yeah, computery things, or... Computery things? Yeah, the problem is they're hard to gauge winners of. Like, no, hey, like, here's an administration contest. Okay, like, what do I have to do? You know, like... My goddamn web server is faster. What? <sighs> <laughs> And Payton's. All right, whatever. I've downloaded more what? porn. No, no, that's stupid. 
But guys, anyway, so tweet at us if you have a suggestion for what Jathan and Payton should be challenged, what sort of challenges they should face, and you know how to declare a winner in those. Okay. With that said, Payton, take us into the news. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, this is a fun one this time. We have a lot actually here, and so I'm gonna move pretty quick through this. Several breaches, several fake uh, other things. The first one we have is that Saks Fifth Avenue. I know that we do a lot of shopping at Saks and Lauren Taylor, but uh, you know they were hit by a credit card data breach. Mm-hmm. It's the retailer is Hudson's Bay Company is what it is, and they had a security breach that compromised data on payment cards that were used at the uh, Saks and Lauren Taylor. It's only affected Saks and Lauren Taylor. They said there was no indication of online sales having been compromised. They don't even mm-hmm. know when they got compromised. First of all, oh lovely. They have no idea how many were stolen. There's a group called Joker Stash that uh, claims to have 5 million of their stolen credit cards. They released 125,000, of which 75% were taken from Saks. Again, there's no confirmation on the start of the breach or if it even has been... Con- Sorry, 25%? 75. In one quarter? 75? 75? Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. All right. So they don't have a confirmation on the start, or even if it has been contained. A spokesperson said that they have taken steps to contain. Okay, so so this is still ongoing. They haven't fixed the problem. (laughs) If indeed they have had 5 million or more stolen, this is the biggest this year. From Mm -hmm. 2006 to 2008, there were 130 million cards that were stolen from Heartland Payment Systems, 7-Eleven, and Hannaford Brothers, which is a grocery store. And then 40 million were stolen from Target in 2013, and 56 million from Home Depot. Hey, maybe we should just stop storing credit cards. Well, well, that would be a fucking crazy idea, but you'd have to enter it every time you bought well, something, dude. Uh, you know, that's the whole thing behind PII is that it's not supposed to store it. It does like a token mm. or a code or yeah, some yeah, exactly. thing, and then it, you know, it holds it for you so you don't have to, like, keep entering the number. Cordial I think PCI had, two, yeah, Cordial had yeah, PCI like, two PCI compliance thing. requires you to not store the credit right. card numbers at least in full. Right. No, you you you. I can't. think you're allowed to store the last four at, at all. At Cordial, we couldn't. Okay, jeez. Yeah, we had a we actually had to walk people through the. the I think ACH. PCI three is even more strict. Yeah, or there's another name for I think for the third level, but we had to walk people through the ACH debit thing. And, and about, we had a new system that came up because of the PCI2 that, you mm. know, you couldn't actually store the, the information there. But, you know, whatever. Obviously, you know, they've got a handle on it, you know, whatever. This is ridiculous. <laughs> it is. All right. So the next thing we have is that there has been a fake Kaspersky out. It's called Fopersky. F-A-U-X-Persky. It's a lot of thought. I didn't name it. So it uses auto hotkey. That's... Auto hotkey and auto IT and uh, auto it. I'm sorry. Auto it. Yeah. I think it's actually auto it. Yeah. yeah. I've never never used it, so I don't know. I've used it like once. Yeah. It's a Windows thing. I don't. Yeah. Know. I yeah. I'm not a big Windows fan. So they it created a credential stealer. Basically, it was it was found on a on a USB drive. So everybody picks up random USB drives they find on the street, plug them in. You know, no big deal. Basically, it's broken down into four things. There's explorers.exe, svhost.exe, task hosts.exe and spool svc.exe now if those sound familiar they're very close except that most of them aren't you know s's at the end it's explorer.exe mm. and service host.exe and task host.exe and uh i think spool service is pretty close to the the right name but you know anyway yeah so the it has four files on there once you plug the usb drive in it uploads these four files 
explorers.exe is propagation and persistence. And so it monitors active windows and locks keystrokes. Okay. And then SV uh-huh. host, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Explorers.exe searches for, finds, renames, and copies to removable drives. So if it finds another removable drive in there, it will change it from pin drive to pin drive, eight gigabytes secured by Kaspersky internet security, which is a valid naming sequence. First of all, Oh my okay. gosh. So then what service SV host does is the key logging aspect and that monitors active windows and locks the keystroke. Also, this is the primary executable. Like this is the one that does everything. Mm-hmm. And then task hosts is more persistence. So this one actually creates an app data. So in windows, in mm-hmm. your home directory, there's an, yeah, it's, it's like a percent app data. It's percent, like the dots where your roaming profile is. Yeah. And then the spool service.exe modifies the registry. So it adds the registry keys and everything. And uh, I mean, all the things that it does, well, then it uses Google Docs for exfiltration. So they uh, mm-hmm. reported to Google. Google closed the Docs file location. So that's no longer uh, valid. But it's not advanced. It's not stealthy. However, it is very efficient in affecting USB drives. So if you have, if you find a USB drive and you plug this in and you have another one plugged into your computer or a removable hard drive, it will, it will infect it like that. No problem. Yeah, oh. this doesn't sound like the work of a malware author. It sounds like the work of a disgruntled Windows sysadmin. Y- you know. Those are I, all like Windows sysadmin sure. tools. Well, the website we have here that actually we're reading this from has a fantastic breakdown of everything that goes on in there. And even hmm. an ad for, oh, not an ad, but there's a logo.png for the Kaspersky Internet Security 2017. So, hmm. you know. There's also readme.txt that says, if you are unable to launch files folders correctly, please disable your antivirus program. (laughs) 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 So it uses 64-bit Windows PE files. Mm -hmm. It's portable execution, by the way. So it's, you know, it's, again, it's not advanced. It's not stealthy. If you know what you're looking for, you're going to realize what it is almost right away. It's actually fairly easy to get rid of. It's not super persistent. I mean, you can delete the register keys. It, it, you know, as long as you unplug it or whatever, you can then get rid of it. But it is, you know. And for, you know, for extra measure, you should probably throw that USB drive in a Linux box and DD it or something. Because, like, just you don't want to use that USB. At that point anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're like 10 bucks each at this All point right. for a, a sizable... Yeah. Yeah, device. So, so it's not that big a deal. The next thing we have is you guys have eaten at Panera Bread, right? And you've signed up for your, yeah. your little card to get you some discounts no. and things. Good, good. So in August of 2017, this gentleman contacted Panera Bread because he found a vulnerability that allowed full mm-hmm. name, home address, mm-hmm. email address, food and dietary preferences, username, phone number, birthday, and last four digits of a saved credit card to be accessed in bulk for any user that had ever signed up for an account, which included his own personal data. Mm-hmm. He emailed them, and I'm, I'm going to read you the reply email to yeah. his email. This is comedy gold. So he, first of all, he says, Hi, Mike. Thank you for making yourselves available. He tried to email Mike Gustavuson, who's the security officer, security director. Mm-hmm. He said there's a security vulnerability on delivery.panerabread.com that exposes sensitive information. He didn't mention anything about, you know, I'd offer to fix this for you or I'd consult this for you. He said, I can also, I can send this to you. I don't want to send over plain text. If you can provide a PGP key for me, I'll be glad to secure it and send it to you. Mm-hmm. And he says, or you can call me and, and talk to me on the phone. And so yep. Mike Gustavuson, the security director for Panera Bread, says, 
Dylan, my team received your emails. However, it was very suspicious and has appeared a scam in nature, therefore was ignored. If this is a sales tactic, not tactic, ticked with a T, yeah. but tactic, I highly recommend, I would highly recommend a better approach as demanding a PGP key would not be a good way to start off. As a security professional, you should be aware that any organization that has a security practice would never respond to requests like the one you've sent. I am willing to discuss whatever <laughs> vulnerabilities you believe you have found, but I will not be duped, demanded for restitution, bounty, or listen to a sales pitch. Regards, Mike. I think what? he's confusing, like, <sighs> Bitcoin address sure. with PGP sure. key. Sure. They're very different things. So, how, all right, how do you... Yeah. So, uh, as a security professional, that guy should be aware of what the fuck a well, PGP key it, it, is. It gets better. I'm going to get to it, okay? Yeah. So, this yeah. goes on for eight months. Oh, my God. That they didn't do anything. Panera Bread acknowledged it. Eventually, in the email chain here, they give him a PGP key. He sends the information. They say, great, we'll take care of it. They bring the website down for, like, two hours. And they bring it back up mm-hmm. again. And it's still vulnerable. Okay? Oh, my gosh. So... At that point, he reaches out to a guy named uh, Krebs. I didn't get his full name. Krebs. Krebs. Brian Krebs? Brian Krebs, yeah. yeah. So Brian Krebs, he finally emails Brian Krebs and like, look, here's the deal. What's going on with Airbread? Brian Krebs re- creates an article, publishes it, sends the information to the CIO at Panera Bread before he does so. They bring the website down. It's down for an hour. They fix it. comes back up. It's still vulnerable. <laughs> then So then Krebs is like, fuck this. He starts tweeting Panera Bread. Hey, uh, mm-hmm. 10K people are, you know, compromised, at least. But here's the funny thing. Panera Bread says, we take data security very seriously, and this issue is resolved. Following reports mm-hmm. today of a potential problem on our website, you know what they said, potential problem. We suspended the yeah. functionality to repair the issue. Our investigation is continuing, but there's no evidence of payment card information, nor a large number of records being accessed or retrieved. Bullshit. So then, so they issued a statement to Fox News saying the breach only impacted 10,000 customer accounts. Krebs says, that's bullshit. I've discovered at least several. So then he goes on. It gets even worse. There are more examples of the same vulnerability everywhere else. Like everywhere on Panera Bread, there's a vulnerability of this sort. So then he says, let's go for 7 million. Oh, let's go for 37 million. He keeps going. He keeps going. And it's just, you know. So then here's the drop in the bucket. Mike Gustavuson, the director of information security, used to work at Equifax from 2009 to 2013 as the senior director of security operations. (laughs) So after all of his tweets, Uh, Panera Bread, again, brought down their website to a, we apologize for an inconvenience. Now when you go to mm -hmm. it, it says an error curve while processing your request and it gives a reference number. So yeah, uh, Panera Bread has no idea what they're doing. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. And for those like who don't follow InfoSec Twitter, this has been a huge thing. They've been talking about this for a while now. Yeah. Because it's such a just mess. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, you've got you've got plenty of other stuff to get through. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, That's go. Okay. It's all right. So have you ever used the Google URL shortening service, goo.gl? Mm-hmm. Well, you mm-hmm. won't be able to anymore. They're ending support for it. It's gonna be shut down March thirtieth, twenty nineteen. So it's already gone. Yep. It was launched in twenty nineteen? Twenty I'm sorry, yeah, it's next tw- year. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't, I, yeah. It was launched in 2009. It was part of an effort by Google to shift toward, oh, it, it was launched in 2009 as it's, the reason why they're closing is because it's part of an effort by Google to shift toward FDLs or Firebase Dynamic Links, which are smart links meant to allow developers to redirect users to any location on a web page. Mm-hmm. This should actually improve security as shortened URLs are more vulnerable to security flaws. 
And also, of course, the web is changing and users are changing the way they navigate the web. So, I mean, shortened URLs are not, you know, that necessary anymore, really. Uh, Potentially. Potentially. I don't know. I mean, if you sure. if you talk to, like, <laughs> sure. like BuzzFeed and who have, like, miles-long URLs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if, I don't know if you remember... Do you remember in the early or late 90s when you would see a URL like somewhere and it was this, it was the really long, incredibly complex string, like you're supposed to write this down so you can go visit the website, you know? You Usually in the 90s, that, yeah. I mostly saw shorter ones. No, man. It I, would be like domain.com slash page.html. Oh, it was, no, but, it was terrible. It was super long. But anyway. Late 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying, right. late 90s. All right. Mm-hmm. So the next thing we have here is, of course, you know, Spectre came out and Intel said, yeah, 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 yeah. All your old chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take care of those. We'll we'll, we'll patch those up for you. Uh, no, they said fuck you guys. <laughs> Older chips such as Penryn, Yorksfield, Wolfdale, they're no they're no longer gonna get Spectre Spectre patches. Lovely. They said go fuck yourself. We don't really care about you. So this includes Penryn, Yorkfield, Wolfdale, Bloomfield, Clarksfield, Nehalem based Jasper Forest, and Intel Adam mm-hmm. Sophia. And they'll no longer receive Spectre patches. The company said that after a comprehensive investigation of the microarchitectures and microcode capabilities for these products, Intel is determined to not release microcode updates for these products for one or more reasons, including, but not limited to the following, microarchitectural characteristics that preclude a practical implementation of features mitigating variant 2, oh CVE 2017-5715, limited commercially available system software support, Based on customer inputs, most of these products are implemented as closed systems and therefore are yeah. expected to have a likely blah, 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 blah. Actually, the real reason is... They're trying to sell the newer chips. Probably. We've now completed recent of microcode updates for Intel microprocessor products launched in the last nine plus years that require protection against the side channel vulnerabilities discovered by Google Project Zero. They don't fucking care. That's all it is. If you have an <laughs> yeah. older chip, fuck yeah. you. They don't care. Next, we have Under Armour. Under Armour has an app called the MyFitnessPal. There were 150 uh, million accounts that were tied to the MyFitnessPal app that were breached this year. An unauthorized party, aren't they all, stole data in late February. They became aware of the breach earlier this week. No payment info or government-issued identifiers were lost. They did include, however, usernames, emails, and passwords. What the fuck, over? (laughs) Next, we have Pharonix sucking more Clear Linux dick. They have a post, there's a blog series started called Behind the Magic. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're exploring or exposing why Clear Linux is so fast on Intel. And the first post in it is a series on the transparent use of library packages optimized for Intel's architecture. So no shit if it's fast on Intel. But then they go on to say that, of course, it also runs well on AMD hardware too. And it's also really darn, darn well. So mm-hmm. Pharonix is, you know, sucking some fat hoo-ha there. Next, we have another god. This the site, the Holy Beep Ninja, is is just hilarious in that. Yeah. Well, first of all, they report the vulnerability, but then they also kind of prank the people who are, you know, kind of silly. I don't even know if it was intentional or. I not, think it though. was. I think it was. I think. It really I hope was. so. Yeah. So the the beat the exploit is CVE twenty eighteen zero four ninety two. It's mm-hmm. the Holy Beep. A beep is a program that you install. It beeps when you ask it to. It allows you to control pitch, duration, repetitions. It lives inside shell and Perl scripts. It also gives you root. <laughs> Everyone that has beep installed is affected. Yeah. Apply the patch. However, if you apply the patch, there's another problem. 
<laughs> it does a race condition and opens arbitrary arbitrary files for for write as root, which bypasses file permissions. Good job. <laughs> you know, I just I, I, see you know, if it was unintentional that he that he sure. did that in the patch. That would have been our baddie, I think, but uh, it's it's unclear. So I wanted to clarify. That's why it's not the baddie because we're unclear if it was oh, our baddie intended is, or not. Our yeah. baddie is fantastic. I can't wait to talk about our baddie. I, I okay. I, you know, let's zoom through the topic so we can get to the baddie. You, Jathan, you, Jathan is a sleepy boy. Do you want me to cover so, my topic really fast or which topic is that? The studying testing. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Forgot we were. Yeah, do that. So on April 9th, I went to take the Linux uh, or uh, LXO 103, which is the first part of the Linux Plus slash Elpic certification test, and I passed. Boom, mm-hmm. passed it. Congrats. I felt really good about it. It was great. Really, it's trying to figure out the answer they want versus what the right answer is necessarily. But right. uh, I used quite a few different things to study with. I found a book on Amazon that had, it was a series of quizzes for each chapter, and then there was a fairly long test in the middle, and then obviously for part two, there's the same thing. And so I used that, and I used Linux Academy. They had a study guide, and I went through Linux Academy, did a lot of listening to videos. They were a little frustrating because some of the information wasn't presented the way I would have liked to have done it. But realistically, it was just trying to get out of my head. Like, I had an idea in my head that, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, you know? And so... Once I was able to sit down and like the first question was on a Debian based system, if you want to remove a package, what's the flag? And it was like, oh, dash dash purge. There it is. Okay, great. So then like that was the first indicator like, okay, I actually know this. And so the next question was, you know, oh, bam, I know that one too. And I just went through and and I I got a pretty decent score on it. So it is a, I mean, it is a difficult test. There are people who struggle to take, you know, both first and second part. But studying, you know, just figuring out the best way you can study and doing that is, in my opinion, the best way of doing so. Mm-hmm. There are, are a ton of study guides out there. I used other sites. I used some other sites that had quizzes that would not quite randomize the test results, but, you know, you would get, you know, a quiz of some sort at least. Mm-hmm. And there were some multiple choice and some fill-in, which is both versions. You have some fill-in, some multiple choice. So... You know, so that was it. So I, I, I did well. I passed. And so I'm looking forward to taking part two here pretty soon. Probably well, the next month or so. And I'll report on that too when I take it past that. Awesome. Yeah. Jathan, did you ever take the RHCSA yet? No, I have. You know, work has allocated the funds and everything. The thing that sucks is there's only one testing center oh, in right. like South Denver. Yeah. Well, we have to go to New York. And, you know, it's not, like it's, a, so. it's not like it's in a terrible location. Like, yeah, it's a drive. But definitely just have to plan it out. We're a little short staffed. Right yeah, now. yeah, exactly. So, so it's just not a great time for me to take a day to go do yeah, that. Yep. But I definitely feel like I'm ready for RHCSA, and I've started studying for the RHC. Ooh, cool. Ooh, Very cool. Really. Best of let, luck on that. Let me know how the RHCSA is, because I am probably going, since we are potentially making a shift towards that, I'm going to want to start looking at that. So let me know how that goes, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. It's a beefy one. It, I know it's a beefy And the, the CE is even more, uh, yeah, it's a bit. But you know, if you you should get like ninety percent of the way there if you've been doing it for a while. So yeah. So let's let's move swiftly into topics if you guys are, are cool with that. Yeah, sure. Uh, because we're already at forty five minutes twenty seconds into the raw, so we got to zoom. We'll be all right. Newman, right by as it were. So first off, big integer in our IRC channel pointed us to Telnet 
Mapski.me. Oh my god. That thing is so cool. M-A-P-S-C-I-I dot M-E. It's the coolest thing I have ever seen. It's like a Telnet interface to Google Maps. You can zoom in, zoom out. It has all the streets labeled. It's awesome. It's so cool. And major props to whoever did it. They've got to be doing some kind of ASCII lib thing with it, is my guess. I don't know how else you would do that. But it's super cool stuff. And, you know, it's all ASCII, obviously, as the name implies. So... I just quick wanted to mention that. Check it out. We'll put it in the show notes. Check it out in your spare time. It's super neat. But moving into relevant to, you know, the Spectre Meltdown thing. And, you know, we did mention that AMD had their own bullshit similar to that. You know, they, they claim it's less serious because it only affects the management engine. And you need root to, to execute it. So why are these exploits that require root such a big deal? And why do we collectively in the past, like, why have we downplayed other exploits that require root there's a big difference between a hardware exploit that requires root and a software exploit that requires root software that requires root that is you know whatever like you can just reinstall the system and be done with it you can replace the binary even if it's a limited scope thing if it's only like one binary that gets trojaned or something and you have checksums for the file system you know to determine which ones might be bad with hardware exploits it's impossible to do these things uh, virtually impossible, we'll say. And furthermore, they're persistent. So if you have, you know, if someone does gain root at some point, or root-like privileges, and they install a an exploit onto your hardware, basically, or into, into the microcode, so on and so forth, one that affects the chip, things like this, there's you can't re- just reinstall the OS. You know, presumably you have backups and you have config management and stuff. Theoretically, you should be able to wipe a box and replace it and getting it back to perfect working order within like five minutes plus however long it takes to actually image the thing. You can't do that with hardware exploits because they're in the hardware. They're in the direct firmware of the devices. So... I think it's very important that we make this point known, and that's why these are such a big deal. That's really all I wanted to say on that. Did you guys have anything else to mention on that particular aspect? Uh, I don't have much. The big thing for me, I mean, obviously, I do think that's why this is a huge deal, Mm -hmm. and people don't, we don't hear about hardware-level vulnerabilities a lot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not always on your radar or whatever, but it's a big deal. I don't personally know, like, I've never been impacted by that kind of thing on any of my personal computers or or anything. Mm-hmm. That but, you know of. Yeah, that yeah. I know of. That's true. I mean, that's it's not true. like you can I mean, see a process true. running or that's anything, true. right? That, yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so you can't check slash proc. You can't check PS output. Yeah, it's much harder to detect. But, yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that people should be aware of, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, it'd be interesting to talk more about hardware-level vulns bef- sometime. Words are hard right now. I'm exhausted as fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's a... Probably just don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. He's, no, you can't go out. You still have the baddie later on. Uh, it's yeah. all right. It's all right. We're cruising through. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's the main thing about hardware vulns is, is even if they do require root, they're persistent. So they're a big deal. All right. Now, the meat of this episode is I wanted to talk about audits because we we talk about oh, doing yes. well we've talked about doing audits in the past. We haven't talked about them lately, but they're very important. They're super important and you should be ideally doing them whenever you have some free time because they can save your ass. And there's a bunch of different audits you should be either implementing yourself, you know, doing yourself or contracting out. 
or having another, you know, another team take care of. The first is the obvious security audits. And this is, granted, a bit general. Typically, you would hire like a, a pen testing firm and a, you know, a, a general infosec term to a team rather to handle this for you. You know, they would pen test. They see where the holes are. They make suggestions into how you can close these holes. You know, they tell you severity, the affected and possible risks associated with these things. You know, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about that because this is really something you should contract out. By all means, like if you have the spare time, run an Nmap against your internal network and get a good inventory. By the way, Nmap does have like XML output and stuff. So it's very easily incorporated into other data processing and report generation. But that's not comprehensive in the least. So you want to make sure that, you know, you don't rely on that. And even if you get a Nessus license or something, that's still not going to provide the amount of depth that an InfoSec contractor can provide you for pen testing and security auditing. And then they'll also, if you know, assuming they're a good team and a good firm, they'll also provide you things like a, a physical pen test. So, like, they can check your locks, your keycard security, things like this. And that's also very key to note, especially if you have, like, an on-premise data center. Because, you know, like, if, if someone gets, you know, the adage, like, once you have hardware access, it's done for. Especially as we just demonstrated with hardware vulns. If you have hardware access, game over. You know, there are some mitigation steps, like, you know, intrusion alert cases and stuff, but you shouldn't rely on them. Your first line of defense of defense for those things is definitely going to be the actual physical security mechanisms like door locks to the data center. But again, I don't want to spend too much time on this because this is a little bit out of our scope as sysadmins and sysengineers. Our stuff is going to be stuff like backups, inventory, and access. First off, with backups, you want to make sure that your backups are conducting properly and that they're on a, a well, that a proper schedule and that all the hosts that should be backed up are being backed up. The way you do this is first, your backup system should have a way of listing backups. Obviously, you should look for gaps in your backup schedule. So if if you, for instance, do a backup of every host every day at 12 o'clock, you should look and make sure that every host has a backup every day at 12 o'clock. Obviously, maybe narrow it down to a certain range. And if you scrub backups, which can save some space, that's also, you know, take that into account as well. But you shouldn't see like, Monday, backup at 12, Tuesday, nothing, Wednesday, backup. You know, like you shouldn't see gaps if it's not accounted for in your schedule. Secondly, oh, and another important part about backups, you don't know their backups unless you try restoring from them. I realize the parad- like the, the paradox of this, like you can't restore to a running system, but you should have a backup system in place that's flexible enough to restore to a test box. And, you know, take a sample every time you can of, of like, Let's try restoring backup for this host at this time. You know, like run through, make sure all the data is there. Make sure that it can restore properly. Make sure it's not corrupt. Things like that. An untested backup system is not a backup system. Or if you're, if you happen to be in a position where you're performing restores regularly, so you're, if you're dealing with like user data or something, you, you probably have a much better idea of knowing when your backup system breaks versus when it's functioning. So, you know. Uh, Scale it to your particular environment and use case, but just know in mind that if you don't test your backups, you can't know for sure that they're... It's a Schrodinger's backup, basically, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's like I see I see the archive there. I don't know if it actually restores. And if it doesn't restore, it's technically not a backup. It's just a bunch of data, a, a bunch of useless data at that. So keep that in mind. 
inventory auditing. And I know I'm cruising through. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this in general because it's been a long, you know, we've had a long news section and everything else. But yeah, your inventory audits. This is where an end map scan comes in use a lot because you can see what hosts are actually on the network. And they can compare that to your actual inventory, saying, okay, this host at this IP is this OS, for instance. And you can say, yes, that checks the inventory. Great. Or you can say, nope, that's missing from the inventory. That's a ghost machine. What the hell is it doing there? And this helps you find the little mysterious little black boxes, like Dropboxes and stuff that aren't, not Dropbox.com, but like literal Dropboxes that people might be putting on your network without your knowledge and consent. As a way of exfiltration. By the way, if those are familiar, if anyone is familiar, rather, I'm a little bit tipsy. <laughs> if anyone is familiar with Aaron Schwartz, this is why he was able to do how this is that, why he was able to exfiltrate the way he did, because nobody was checking for rogue machines on the network. He had a laptop in like a janitor closet or something, I believe. Right. And it was Maybe? connected right in and just slurping up data. I think it was a janitor closet. It was something like that. But yeah, he had a, he had a machine popped up and nobody thought to check for it they i think they even discovered it completely by happenstance uh and you know that was game over for him at that point but as a system administrator like you know ideology behind what aaron schwartz was actually doing aside whether you agree with them or don't agree with them as a sysadmin and a systems engineer as part of operations it is your job to make sure that does not happen that's your liability period whether you agree with it or not i don't want to get too much into like a political discussion about it because then we start getting to like snowden area stuff but like hmm. in terms of your actual performing role that's what you do and you don't really know offhand what they're exfiltrating it could be for some good political reason you agree with it could be to fucking get the creds of all your employees you don't know so in our role it's probably better to play safe than sorry so that being said it's also very useful to just be able to like take a glance at and at a look like see what machines are where and it can even help you sort of like physically find them in the building because you know okay that's on this vlan that vlan trunks you know to this particular area of the building so like it does help with a lot of different things not just the security aspect of it it's a very good thing to have it's good to show to the ceo because they love the graphs and the diagrams and things like that. Lastly, access. This is probably the most time-sucking one, but it's probably the most important one. When I say access, I mean a variety of things. This is different from like the security auditing. This is in terms of MySQL logins. Like you need to make sure that it's your grants are by user and host, that you're not wildcarding hosts because that's silly. Don't do it. <laughs> I don't care how easy it makes it. Don't do it. Your file system ACLs, you know, like make sure the octal permission settings are correct so that a user can access data they shouldn't be able to. Make sure the ownerships are correct. Make sure if you use them, the, the SUID and SGID are properly set and they play into other appropriate permission. SSH is another, a big one that falls into access. You want to make sure that you are auditing the keys, be the key authentication. You know, you want to make sure the keys that are being allowed are the keys that should be allowed. You don't have stale keys in there. You don't have broken keys. You don't have leaked keys, things like that. I don't know. Can you guys think of anything else on this? I Revoke VPN access yes. for old employees. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. Oh, or people oh who are no God. longer contracting so, with you or whatever. So to touch touch on that, I do a lot of reading on Reddit, especially Tales from Tech Support. 
And there's a guy who literally had to call the FTC and self-report because he had a branch manager would hire and fire loan officers at whim and they would just change the password. They would fire the, the loan officer. They would call support and have them set the password back to what it was. So oh then these gosh. people would be able to go home and log in and keep working. <laughs> yeah. So you you should be using unique accounts, like unique users for everything, especially right. if you're calling outside people that are only working short term or you're planning on terminating. This is where central auth comes in super handy. I don't care if you've got three people working for you. Central auth is still handy if you've got a lot of resources because it lets it's one place where you just need to enable or disable a user and add them to appropriate groups. One place, that's it. That's the only place you need to do it. One place to control your permissions. At a glance, you know exactly what they have access to, exactly what they don't have access to, what they need to have access to and don't, what they shouldn't have access to and do, so on and so forth. You can tell that all at a glance. It's amazing. Use something like LDAP if your application supports it. Please use LDAP. It is such a time saver. And it's something worth pushing for because it saves so much time. And even if you're not adding users, you know, you always have the possibility of something going south and needing to fire a user at a moment's whim. And then you need to turn that down and like, like that because you're worried about them, you know, coming up, like catching onto it and then going, oh, like, I, let me exfil all this stuff as a revenge tactic or something. No, like with centralized auth, you just do it once. That's it. And you can do it in like two seconds. So it'll save your ass in the terms of firing a potentially, what do they call it, retributive employee. So that's really all I have to say on that. That took shorter than I thought it did. If you had problems understanding me, because not only was I like having troubles piecing the thoughts together like I am now, because I'm uh, more tipsy, but, (laughs) you know, you're, you're just... I don't know, slow your player. What, what Jathan, were they supposed to slow their player down to? 0.65 times? Yeah. yeah. That's the best that's, speed to listen to us That's apparently the best speed to listen to us at. Do you know, by the way, Jathan, why uh, many podcasts and podcast clients and audio players have this slow down and speed up thing? In case you're slow. No, most people like to listen to podcasts at like 1.25 or 1.15 times the speed. Because, you know, the brain can still process the information, but it takes less time to listen to. They do the same thing for audiobooks. Did you know that? I I understand the concept. <laughs> I think it's stupid. Well, whatever. Don't alter us. We're intended to be listened to at the speed at which we talk. I That would be a good time to mention that you shouldn't listen to Jathan. We're under a CC license. You can do whatever the fuck you want with our auto, audio as long as you attribute us. But that no, being said... You <laughs> no, you. <laughs> He's getting mad. All right, Jathan, are you ready for the baddie? Yeah, I'm really not high energy, guys. I drank a lot yeah, last night. Yeah, you're... I drank a you're lot. You're feeling your Let's age, you probably. It, and then you'll be able to go to bed, okay? With your little whiny butt. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you right, want us to right, read, right, it, read you a bedtime story? Is, yeah. is the baddie but a bedtime story? at 1.25. <laughs> you mean 1.65? You said 1.65. Most people listen to, like, pockets and audiobooks at 1.25 or 1.15. No, I said 0. 0.65 for oh, us. Po- oh, got it. Yes. 0.65, okay. Slow. You slow us slow. down. Okay. All right. I'll read you a slow very a very slow bedtime story. <laughs> All right, go. Go, go, go. All right. Don't do this. I'm doing it. So I don't really know how this started, and right now I am reading from some tweets. Yeah. <laughs> However, we will find a source for this to publish with the show notes. 
Yeah. So, someone tweets, basically, that T-Mobile Austria mm-hmm. is saving your password in clear text because employees have access to them. So, when yeah. you call T-Mobile in Austria, you have to tell them your password before you can, you know, actually discuss details of your account. Mm-hmm. For what it's worth, this is actually fairly common in Europe. The fuck? But... In Europe, the password that you have to speak, verbally speak, is not the password you use to log into the website. Oh, it's like a support token kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. In this case, though, in Austria, the password that you speak over the phone is also the password (laughs) you use to log into the website. Okay. So, T-Mobile Austria replies to this person's tweet and says, This is fantastic. This is The customer service agents see the first four characters of your password. We store the whole password because you need it for the login... And then they post the link to the T-Mobile site. (laughs) So, you know, implying that, you know, they're checking your password basically in plain text. Yeah. So, you know, person responds. Thanks for your reply. Storing clear text passwords in a database is a naughty thing to do. (laughs) What can we do to get your devs to fix this? Oh, Aussies. Okay, well, it it gets better here because T-Mobile comes back and says, Hey, this is not a problem. You have so many passwords for every app, every mail account, and so on. We secure all data very carefully, so there is not a thing to fear. Except for the disgruntled employee. Yeah, right? Person basically points out the obvious. What if your infrastructure gets breached and everyone's password is published in plain text to the whole wide world? Yeah. T-Mobile replies, what if this doesn't happen because our security is amazingly good? <laughs> what if this doesn't happen because our security well, is amazingly good? Hi, what if this terrible thing that happens all the time mm-hmm. happened to you? Yeah, but what if it doesn't? <laughs> Yeah, but, but what if it doesn't? Uh, so, I just, I love this article. I really Oh, yeah. I the the tweets, the tweets are worth reading. The thread's worth reading. I mean, it just goes on and on. Yeah. And, I mean, it is hilarious, some of the things that T-Mobile is saying. Like, excuse me, do you have any idea how telecommunication companies work? Do you know anything about our systems? I'm glad that t- you have the time to share your view with us. Oh, jeez. I mean, like, I can think of a way where they don't actually store the plain text in which the support rep types in the password. It checks against a, like a, you know, a salted hash in the database. But you're still giving your password to another person. Yeah, no. Well, it also admit they basically said that they stored in plain text. Yes. Now, whether it. this person running their Twitter account knows the truth or not, yeah. I think is probably up for debate. However, I'm... I'm willing to say that this is probably a problem. <laughs> yeah. No. So I, I will yeah. say before we publish show notes, I would like to do some verification of this. Yeah, let's do verification. But I mean, I can see this being true. Oh, wait a second. Wait yeah. a second. Hold on. Mm-hmm. I, this Hold is definitely true. On. This is definitely true. Oh, wow. How did I just lose that? I don't know. How did you just lose that? Oh, come on. <laughs> I was scrolling through. Uh-huh. And, you know, as any company basically faces scrutiny, right, people start looking into their shit more carefully. Sure. And it looks like maybe someone found a cross-site scripting vulnerability <laughs> on their site. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, because so of their I, amazing security, of course. It's amazingly good. Yeah. Yeah. In any case. Definitely something. X, oh, come on. Fuck. I accidentally, like, pre- pressed back, and now I can't find the tweet. That's oh, right. Oh, here it is. Oh. Uh Oh, yeah, here it is. Somebody basically, again, this is just someone on Twitter, Mm -hmm. so we would probably have to find a source, but seems like they found cross-site scripting vulnerability. (laughs) (laughs) Link link me to that in IRC. Yeah. So anyway, T-Mobile Austria and possibly just T-Mobile in general, you're getting a baddie. Yep. Please do not store passwords (laughs) in plain text. And more so, 
also probably fire that person who was on your uh, Twitter. Yeah. I'm not going to take Twitter advice from a... I'm not sorry. I'm sorry. Not Twitter advice. I'm not going to take security advice from some PR rep. Yeah. Right. Or social media support rep or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's... That's... <sighs> that's terrible. And then to just be like, well, I know this bad thing is possible, but our security is really good. <laughs> but it's not possible for us. <laughs> It's amazingly good. It's I mean, amazing. have you even worked in telecommunications? <laughs> Do you know anything about our systems? I know th- I know quite a thing about telecommunication companies. I'll Co- tell you that. Cross-site scripting. That's great. Oh, yeah, no, it's fine. We promise. <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> you have, okay. You have so many different emails anyway. Mm-hmm. Douchebag. What is one account amongst yeah, the right? thousands you the have? Thousands. You have millions of accounts. <laughs> millions. Millions, I say. Millions. Oh, God. This is so depressing. All right. Right? Well, I want to cry. That has been. I, I want to cry a little bit. Seriously. That has been Sis Administrovia. We're going to go cry ourselves to sleep. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Peyton. See you around.